it'll be a blessing. We don't want to distract anybody. Stand up on your feet. Mark chapter 9. And um, we want to go into the word of the Lord this morning. Mark chapter 9. Let's look at verse number 14. The Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. They were running to him and they greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then when they brought him to him, and when he saw him, he immediately, uh, the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he was thrown in both into the fire and thrown into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he, came, he became as one dead so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our lives. Lord, I bind any distraction that would try to hinder us this morning from hearing your word. Let us have ears to hear and a heart to receive. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that you're confirming your word with signs and wonders and miracles. And Lord, most of all, people being born again, coming into the kingdom. Lord, I thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said a big amen one more time. You can be seated. Well, as I said a moment ago, good morning, everybody. So glad to see each and every one of you today. And uh, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning entitled Haunted. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at haunted by worry, haunted by anxiety, ha um, haunted by um, not having enough. We're going to look at uh, several things that try to come in and try to creep into our life and cause us to have worry and uh, in various areas. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I believe all of us have dealt with at one time or another. This morning, I want to talk to you about being haunted by doubt. Can you say that with me? Haunted by doubt. Now, you know me by now, and I, I am a wordsmith. I like to, to write, and I like to, to use different words, and, and college has really helped me focus in on that, on, on using the same words, and, and getting my synonyms, and switching things around, but I like to look at definitions, and when you look at the word doubt in uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, here's what doubt is described as. Doubt is defined as this, the feeling of, of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. Let me say that one more time. Doubt can be defined, according to Merriam-Webster's, as the feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. If we're all honest in this room, we've all been touched by doubt at some point in our lives. Have we not? Amen. If you say no this morning, you need to be the first person at the altar today because you are not telling the truth. All of 
of us have been touched by doubt at one point or another in our lives. Now, that's a problem because the Scripture says that we are supposed to be people of faith. Amen? That's why I preach the Scripture. That's why I focus so much on the Word of God because Romans chapter 10, verse 17, very plainly says it like this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We, our, our faith begins to grow whenever we have access to the Word of God, testimonies, testimonies of what Jesus has done in people's lives. It builds our faith and causes our faith to be strong. But we're to be people of faith. So much so, three times in the Old Testament and quoted in the New Testament is this phrase, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So we're called to live by our faith, right? Now, when you look at the book of James, this is just a little bit of an introduction for you, but when you look at the book of James, James actually gives us three different types of faith, three different kinds of faith in the book of James. And this is not anything I want you to get bogged down in, but you can write these down. These are found in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of James. First of all, there is something that is called dead faith. Everybody say dead faith. Now, the reason why it's called dead faith is because when James writes, he says, now then faith without works is what? Dead. So if there's no action to your faith, do you really have faith? Come on, think about it. If there's no action to our faith, do we really have faith? Now, you can tell me all day long that you believe in prayer and that you believe prayer works, but if you don't have a prayer life, do you really have faith in prayer? I would surmise the answer to that question is no. We can do the same thing about studying our Bible, about giving, about serving, about all of those things. Faith without works is dead. Then James gives us a second kind of faith. This faith is a bit confusing because uh, of the very title of it, and I want to explain it to you. We have dead faith, but here's the second kind. The second kind of faith is demonic faith. Demonic faith. Everybody say demonic faith. Now, some of you are staring at me like a cow at a new gate, and uh, let me explain to you what demonic faith is. Well, did you know that even demons believe in God? People walk around talking about, I believe in God. Well, that type of faith is not Bible faith. It's not saving faith. That's not the type of faith. It is a mental assent or a head knowledge. James goes on to tell us this. He says, you believe, say you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So there is a, a demonic type of faith. But then there's the third faith that we need to hone in on this morning, and that is demonstrative faith. Somebody say demonstrative faith. That is faith in action. That is, James says, says, I will show you my faith by my works. You know that somebody has faith when they are saying something and walking in the same direction. That is the biblical type of faith. So we've, I've taught on that through the years, the different types of faith. But one thing that we don't like to talk about is the fact that like there are three types of faith, there are three types of doubts. Now, we don't want to just spend time talking about doubt this morning, but I want to see if you can identify yourself in any of these. The first type of doubt that I want to tell you about is intellectual doubt. These are doubts that are often raised outside of the household of faith. Is, is there really a God? 
You know, people, people ask that question. Is there really a God? Uh, people say, is there really life after death? Uh, people ask all types of different questions that are intellectual. These are people in their mind. They are thinking with their carnal nature. Is Jesus the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Then there are spiritual doubts. I think all of us have probably had spiritual doubts at one time in our life. This is why it's important for us not to walk according to our eyes, but we walk according to our our spirit and our faith. Because here's what spiritual doubts look like. Does God really hear my prayer? Think about it. Have you ever just been praying and you were just praying like you thought you were praying a hole from he- through heaven, and you got up and you said, it feels like my prayer didn't even make it past the ceiling. Does God even hear my prayer? Anybody? Come on, your halos are awfully crooked this morning. Am I the only one? God, do you hear my prayer? Uh, there, there, there are things like, am I really forgiven? People deal with this. Especially people who have an extensive criminal past or a, a one, of those, one of those rap sheet testimonies, you know, when they say, can a loving God really forgive me? And you know what the Word of God says. The Word of God says He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. We know that God's Word says that His blood washes us white as snow, but yet that old condemnation comes and that old spirit comes up in your life and says, well, you know what you did and all of these things. And so we have these spiritual doubts where we say am I really forgiven have anybody ever dealt with that before I have why do I still feel guilty if God's forgiven me we have all of these things and then here's the one I think that hits home for most of us here's the third type of doubt it's circumstantial doubt circumstantial doubt this doubt sounds like this well I prayed How come they weren't healed? Circumstantial doubt sounds like this. Jesus, I was living for you. Why did my marriage fall apart? Circumstantial doubt sounds like this. Lord, I have been doing what you wanted me to do all of my life, and now I am in this situation. It seems like you've forsaken me. All of us have had circumstantial doubts before in our life. They are the whys of this life. Why did this happen? See, the problem is, is that many people think that doubts are necessarily a bad thing. I want to tell you, doubt is different than unbelief. People say, well, doubt is the opposite of faith. No, it's not. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. But this morning, I want to, we're going to look at unbelief as well, but I also want to look at doubt because I believe that our doubts, whenever they are placed in the right place, they can help us get in the face of Jesus. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, there is one place in life that you need to take your issue to, and you need to take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you still with me this morning? Now, I want to give you some background of Mark's gospel, chapter number 9. We see in our text a man who is going through great difficulty. Out of the crowd arises this man. The scripture does not tell us a lot about this man, but this man has an issue. His child is 
going through all type of convulsive seizures. Now, it depends on what translation of the Bible you're reading. Some people say, uh, one translation says it's, it's epilepsy. Another one says he is moonstruck. Um, another one says that uh, he is having demonic convulsions. Now, when we look at the passage, we do see that Jesus identifies and addresses the fact that this man's issue was spiritual in nature. It was not just a physical issue. It was a spiritual issue in nature. Now, before we jump down this trail this morning, I want to just make something just so clear, so clear this morning so that there's no misunderstanding. This scripture does not point to the fact or to try to solidify any type of way that all sicknesses and all diseases are demonically inspired. That's not the case. Sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it may be chemical, sometimes whatever. But in this case, this man had a spirit that was causing him to have all of these issues. And so when Jesus dealt with this matter, it was a matter of deliverance for the man. And this man was delivered. But this morning, we're going to walk through this, and I want you to see as our faith is built. Because I believe wholeheartedly this morning that as we track through the Word of God, the light bulb is going to come on in some people's lives. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, deliverance and healing will happen in this room today if we take our doubts and our unbelief to to the right place. So let's go. I want you to look back with me at verse number uh, uh, 14. There was a man, it says, and he came to his disciples, this is Jesus, and there was a great multitude all around them, and the scribes were disputing with them. They were, they were talking. Now, you got to ask the question, answer the question rather, what were the scribes? The scribes in Jesus' day were like the news reporters. They were the, the CNN of Jerusalem. They, they followed around the, the Sanhedrin, and they followed around the Pharisees, and, and when Jesus would do something, they would be dispatched out to scene, and they're, they're writing stuff down, and so they're trying to get the story. And so they're all talking, they're all amazed, and it says immediately when they saw uh, him, meaning Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed. They ran to him and they greeted him. And then Jesus turns and he asks the scribes, what are you discussing among them? And then one of the crowd answered and he said, teacher, I brought my son to you whom has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, dashes at his teeth and becomes rigid. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. The very first thing that, that I want to look at with you this morning, as you're looking in your Bible, is found in verse number 17. We see that this man has a dilemma. Everybody say dilemma. He's got a problem. What is this man's dilemma? This man's dilemma is that his son needs a miracle. His son needs a miracle. I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a parent. Or a grandparent. But there is no pain like the pain of watching your children suffer. Come on somebody. Am I testifying to anybody in the room this morning? You have probably said before concerning your children. Lord if I could just take this pain from them I would. 
I've been there. When Aaron was about five, six years old, we spent a week in the hospital. He came home from school, and he had a little bit of a fever. He wasn't feeling well. The next thing you know, he couldn't walk. His legs wouldn't work. We took him to the doctor. They couldn't find out what was wrong with him. It was a scary time as a young parent. Didn't have any experience. You know, parenting, we're still trying to learn and figure this thing out, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, people today take their kids to the doctor from, for anything. I grew up, you just give them some Benadryl or some Tylenol, and you call it good pray amen so finally when we took him to the doctor they said we don't know what's wrong and I remember that pain and saying Lord we, we prayed over him every day we had the church praying and finally God brought deliverance but but we pray Lord just whatever has to be done Lord take this pain away from my child this man finds himself in a similar dilemma and he breaks past the crowd and he he takes his son to the disciples of Jesus. Now, listen to me. It's not Father's Day this morning. But I will tell you that when I saw this particular passage of Scripture, the one thing beside the miracle that leaped out to me was the fact that this boy's father took him to Jesus. I just want to go on record this morning, and I want to tell you something. I don't mean to be offensive to anybody. I'm thankful for moms. I'm thankful for grandmas. I'm thankful for aunts. I'm, thank, I'm thankful for church mothers who pray. But we need more daddies who, and more granddaddies who will take their children to Jesus when they have issues. And this man took his child to what he felt like was the right place you have to applaud the man because he said I don't have the answer but I know where the answer is and so he took his child to the disciples of Jesus the only issue is that the disciples of Jesus failed to deliver we see it in this man's heart when he begins to to write and he says in the latter part of, of verse number 17 he says uh, that a teacher, he said, I brought my son to you who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes at his teeth and becomes rigid. So I brought him to your disciples that they should cast it out. Look at the, the remainder of verse 18 here. It says, but they could not. This man had a dilemma. He had a problem. His child needed deliverance. And yet he knew he didn't have the answer, but he knew where the answer was. So he went to the place where he thought that he could get help. The issue is, is that when he showed up to the place, he didn't get the help that he thought he could. Which leads me to my second thought. We see this man, it's on the screen for you. We see this man's disappointment. Now I've got a question for you. Has man ever disappointed you? Has man ever disappointed you? Have, have you ever had your trust, your faith, your hope in people, and yet people let you down? Maybe it was a pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a youth leader, maybe a children's worker, maybe, maybe some other spiritual person in your life, but they let you down. They failed to deliver. You were vulnerable, and you thought that you were going to get the answer, but you didn't get the answer. Let me tell you something. If we're not careful, we can allow disappointment in our life to set up root and become bitterness. This man 
was doing what he thought was right. Taking his son to Jesus. He was confident. We don't know. Scripture does not give us a lot of background historically about this man. We don't know who he was. We don't know what his religious background was. We don't know if he was a, a disciple of Jesus or he just heard about the miracle. But nonetheless, he, he must have known that Jesus could do something. Because after all, Jesus was doing miracles all throughout the land. So the man had to have some type of confidence some type of measure of faith to believe that if I just got my son to the right place, then something could happen. But he finds himself disappointed. Now, let me just share with you something this morning. Disappointment comes from unmet expectations. I know that's misspelled. It's driving me crazy. Disappointment comes from unmet expectations. The problem is, is that a lot of times we expect from people what only Jesus can give to us. Now God uses people. And somebody say, thank God for that. I thank God that he uses people. But at the end of the day, our faith was never meant to rest in people. Our faith was meant to rest in Jesus. And so I'm glad this morning that even when we fumble the ball, Jesus doesn't kick us out. I'm about to take you through an interesting journey for the next few moments, if you can just hang with me. We see this man has disappointment, but there's another level of progression that comes here. Number three, we see his disillusionment. We see his disillusionment. Now, if you, if you go back with me, and I want, you to, I want you to see this in the Scripture for yourself. Verse 20 says, Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground. He wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's been thrown both to the fire, to the water to destroy him. But look at this next part. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Somebody say if. Now this man didn't start with an if. He started with some level of confidence. And I want you to notice how disappointment knocked the peg down a few notches. And now he's gone from faith to doubt. And now he's saying, Lord, if you can do anything. Now, my question is, what do you mean, if? Don't you know I walked on water? Don't you know I raised the dead? Don't you know I opened the blinded eyes and I unstopped the deaf ears? Don't you know who I am? What do you mean if? But this man is walking in disillusionment. Why? Because when our disappointment turns into a discouragement, and then our heart begins to get weary. The next thing that happens is it turns into disillusionment. Now, stay with me. The meaning of disillusioned is this. Having lost faith or trust 
in something formerly, formerly regarded as good or valuable. Now, let me read it again. Disillusioned means having lost faith or trust in something formerly regarded as good or valuable. I tell you, disillusionment is a terrible thing. This man goes from faith to Lord if you can do anything. And I know some of us in this room think we're too spiritual to never go through disillusionment in our life or with the Lord. But I want to give you the biggest, hugest story of disillusionment in the Bible. The scripture says there was a man sent from God. His name was John. John was not the light, but John came to give witness of the light. John was the forerunner of Jesus. John was the cousin of Jesus. In fact, let me give you a little bit of John the Baptist's history. The Bible says when the angel appeared to Elizabeth and told her about the son that she would have. Not only did the angel of the Lord close the mouth of John the Baptist's father, but the Bible says that John leapt in his mother's womb. Come on, where's my, where's my pro-abortion people at to say it's not life? Huh? Come on. The child leapt in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. That John... The one who proclaimed the way of Christ said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached about the Messiah coming. But yet there's one obscure passage of scripture in the New Testament about John that's baffling to the carnal mind. The Bible says that among those born of women, there's none greater than John. But he who is least in the kingdom is greater than than he among women there's none greater than John but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he what does that mean well John was literally straddled between two worlds John was the last living prophet of the Old Testament scholars say he was the last legal high priest because the two high priests that were appointed by Rome were illegitimate. John's father was a high priest. And when John's father died, it transferred to him. That's why he had to baptize Jesus, because Jesus represented a new priesthood. But I'll move on from there. So, what we see is, is, that, is that John, right... John was preaching about Jesus coming. He was preaching about the Messiah, but yet he was straddling two worlds. Two worlds. The old and the new. Now the reason why it says he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he is because John did not live on the other side of the cross. He didn't experience redemption the way we do, but yet the scripture said that he that is born of women, there was none greater. Now let me explain to you why this is. Because when God spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah the prophet 
thousands of years divorced from Christ's coming. Through the lens of prophecy, look down through the portals of time. And in Isaiah 53, he penned the word. He'll be like a root out of dry ground. His form or comeliness will not be of anything that we will have desired him. He'll be like a lamb led to the slaughterhouse. Then Isaiah went on to say that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah, never having laid eyes on the Messiah, saw this through the portals of history. I I would say that's a pretty great, great prophet. What about Malachi, the last prophetic book of the Old Testament? Malachi says about the the Christ coming, he said, uh, his, his second coming, he says, And the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Or what about Zechariah the prophet? who saw through the portal of history the second coming of the Messiah. Forget the first coming. He saw the second coming. Zechariah prophesied, he said, when he he comes, his feet will descend upon the Mount of Olives. It will split and cleave in two, and the Messiah will walk down through that valley, that Kidron Valley, right through the eastern gate, and sit upon his rightful throne in Jerusalem. Zechariah never saw that with his own eyes. And so how is it then that the New Testament writer can say that among those born of women, there is none greater than John? tell you because John lived between both worlds and every other prophet before John said he's coming he's coming he'll be born of a virgin he'll be in Bethlehem every other prophet began to talk about his lineage and his history and he'll sit on the the throne of his father David the Bible goes on over and over and over again and talks about it these prophets write and they, they say he's coming he's coming he's coming but John was the only one who stood at the muddy banks of the Jordan River and out of his peripheral vision he sees an olive-skinned Galilean walking with his footprints in the sand. From a distance, John looks out and John says, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was no other prophet who ever got to do that. But John did. Then they had this big argument about who was going to baptize who. And, 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 and J- J- John's like, Jesus, baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, suffered to be so to fulfill all righteousness. And so they have this baptism. Jesus is 30 years old. I'm going somewhere. It's going to tie in with Mark 9. Stay with me. They have this big baptism. But John has done, I would say, Thousands of baptisms, not more than that. Crying in the wilderness, repent. People are coming to be baptized of John. This baptism, it wasn't like any other baptism. Because the Bible says that after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. 
And that's significant because of what happened at his baptism. Scripture says that as John readied himself, getting ready to baptize the Messiah at 30 years of age, the Bible says the heavens opened up and they heard a voice. Everybody around heard a voice. Said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But it, that's cool enough. But that's not all. The Bible said John also saw the Spirit of God descend in the form of a dove and light upon Jesus and remained there. Testifying to the fact that the Scripture says the Father loves the Son and has given Him the Spirit without measure. The Spirit rests upon Jesus. John saw this. You would think if anybody was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, it had been John. But, everybody say but. Now this is a big but. You got to watch out for the big buts in the Bible. Come on somebody. Luke chapter 7 records something that if I were God, I would have left it out of the Bible. I've said this before in, in, in joking, but it's true. If I were God, and obviously I'm not, and I was writing the Bible, there was a whole bunch of stuff I had left out. David's adultery, wouldn't have put that in there. Tamar's ordeal with her family members and the rape and incest, I would have left that out. Moses killed an Egyptian with his bare hands, I would have left that out. All of the stuff that's so horrid in the Scripture, I would have just left that out and let God deal with that, you know, behind the scenes. But God left it in there for us to see Several things. And one of those things is that he still uses broken humanity. It's not through our own perfection that God uses us. God uses us because of his own glory and purposes. But in Luke chapter 7, I'm going somewhere. Stay tuned. Luke chapter 7, we find something interesting. John the Baptist got himself in a whole lot of trouble. Because John noticed that some people were dancing and sleeping with folks who weren't their spouse. So John was, he was a Baptist, but he sounded like a Pentecostal right here. He was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb, so he was Bapticostal. There you go. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you get with that? Now look, John preached that a man should not have somebody else's wife doesn't seem like an obscure thing to preach being that one of the ten commandments is thou shall not commit adultery well he made some folks mad and so what happened is the king's daughter said as my gift I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter so they bound John up they put him in jail now I do prison ministry some of you have gone to prison. Some of you have gone to prison and done prison ministry. Some of y'all got saved in prison and did prison ministry while you were in prison. Say that three times fast. But I've done prison ministry. I've been all over. I've been Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. And I'll tell you, the prisons that I've been in, they don't even compare to what Paul and the others had to suffer in. In old dungeons and darkness and Windows with barely any sunlight coming through and old cisterns converted into holding cells. Yeah, it was terrible. 
But nonetheless, John is in prison for preaching about adultery. And all of a sudden, out of his window, he hears something. Some commotion comes, and some of John's disciples come to check on him. Psst, John! This is my interpretation, okay? Psst, John! How you doing in there, man? Well, you know, whatever. And they're checking on him, seeing how he's doing. You know, they got to be faithful to their leader. So they're checking on John. And all the while, I'm sure John hears commotion going on because Scripture tells us that outside, Jesus is in the streets doing miracles, doing what Jesus does. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Man, Jesus is doing all this stuff. And here, here in the meantime, John's in prison wondering, you know, well, it seems like he's doing it for other people. But why is he not doing it for me? Oh, come on. Don't act like you haven't been there. Don't act like you haven't been there. Lord, it seems like you're blessing everybody else. How come you're not blessing me? Lord, it seems like you're helping everybody else. How come you're not helping me? And, and now what we find is that the disciples of John come to the window. I can just imagine the disciples are like, okay, John, it's good to see you today. We just wanted to check on you, seeing how you were doing, give you a little bit of encouragement. Can we do anything before we leave? And John leans over the window. And he said, hey, uh, being as you guys are having so much fun out there with Jesus, you know, how about you send him a message for me? And why don't you ask him, is he really the one? Or should we look for another? And let me give you the in indication of that. The English language stops at another period. But interpretation tells us what John is looking for. And what he's asking is, Shall we look for another Messiah? Because even though John saw the miracles, even though John saw the heavens open up, he heard the voice, he saw the dove, disappointment, discouragement set in and brought disillusionment. And now everything he saw, everything he's heard, everything he's experienced is now cast to the wayside because he's in the realm of his emotions. He's in the realm of his feelings. And he's disregarding everything that he had ever heard. So the disciples scurry off. And I'm sure Jesus is a good, you know, he's the great shepherd. Amen. John is one of his sheep. So... Like I do when our staff go and visit somebody, I say, hey, how did it go? Tell me, what did they say? I could see maybe some hesitation in their thought. Well, Jesus, John said, no, 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 you tell him, you tell him. I don't want to tell him, you tell him. <laughs> you know, they fought over who was going to tell what, right? You tell him, I don't, I don't want to say that. And then finally, somebody steps up and says, well, Jesus, uh, he, what he said was, are you really the one or should he still keep looking for another? And notice what Jesus said, and it's recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter number 7. Jesus said, 
You go and tell John. The blind have seen. The deaf have heard. The, the dead have been raised. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, if John, who saw all that, heard all that, experienced all that, can be disillusioned, then who are we to look down our nose at this dad in Mark 9 who says, well, you know, if, if, if he's so beat down at this point, he's like, Lord, if you can do anything, if you can do Oh, I'm getting to a good place this morning. We see his disillusionment. And then we see his doubt. I'm hastening to a close. We see this man's doubt. His disillusionment gives birth to doubt. We see the Bible says faith is found in two places. Faith comes from the word of God, but faith is found in two places. Romans chapter... Uh, 10 verse 8 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you shall be saved for with the mouth speaking confession is made and with the heart man believes unto righteousness then Paul goes on to say this is the word of faith that we preach he begins to talk about proclaiming, believing. And what do we see this man's doubt? His belief has now begun to come out of his mouth. If, if you can do anything, would you please help my son? Here's what I wanted all of us to see this morning. No matter what kind of doubt you have, no matter how many times you've prayed, Jesus is not afraid of your doubt. Well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me say that. Let me rewind the tape real quick. No matter how many times you've prayed, no matter how many times you've been disappointed, Jesus is not afraid of your doubt he's not afraid of it so many people they wrestle with doubt they wrestle with the ifs of life they wrestle with the whys and it and it drives them away from Jesus but I began this message by telling you that that our doubts put in the right place can actually put us in a better position with Jesus because he told Jesus he said if you can do anything Please help us and have compassion on us. But what did Jesus say? Jesus responded to a statement with a statement. A question with a question. If you can believe, then all things are possible to him who what? Believes. And I love what he says. Notice where he begins to shift. And see, sometimes we just got to give the Lord something to work with. Notice what the man said in verse 23 and 24. He said, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. Can I give you the modern English translation of that? 
He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because we've all been here before. Here's what he was saying in modern day vernacular. He was saying, Lord, I know that you can. But I'm not quite sure yet that you will. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What does the scripture say? I want you to follow with me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25, but when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He said to that deaf and dumb spirit, I command you. To come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead. So that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. We see the man's dilemma. We see his disappointment. We see his disillusionment. We we see his doubt. But the next thing we see, worship team, if you want to come this morning. The next thing we see is his deliverance. We see his deliverance. Here's why I need you to get this this morning. You need to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that though everybody else may fail you, Jesus can never fail you. He can never fail you. We see this man's deliverance. Where all of a sudden, all of his doubts, all of his problems, all of his disillusionments, and all of his despair, in a moment, vanish. When Jesus steps into his problem. When Jesus steps into his problem. Circumstances. Change. They shift. Come into alignment. We see he brought deliverance. Here's what I want to close with this morning. If I can have some of our prayer team come. Just stand across the front. Here's what I want you to know this morning. No matter what kind of doubt you're experiencing, maybe you're doubting that God can fix your marriage. Maybe you're doubting that, 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 that you can be healed of that disease. Maybe you're doubting that your, your child is ever going to get any better. Maybe you're doubting all types of things. Maybe your doubts are hidden in your heart and you've never express those to anybody here's what I want to tell you this morning that at one time or another everybody has dealt with doubt but here's here's the hope of the message this morning when you bring your doubts to Jesus he'll make a believer out of you 